St. Louis's raid of COVID-19 cases has healthcare workers worried. They sounded the alarm today on St. Louis on the Air. Um, at some point, it really does come down to is the community engaged enough to prevent um, the worst from happening? These are real people who have had a profound impact um, on our lives as, you know, healthcare workers. And so it's just it's disconcerting. It's uh, frustrating, and it certainly adds to, you know, a lot of our fatigue regarding this, this situation. Just please take this seriously. Please be safe. This is real, and, and we want you to be healthy. We don't want you to be laying in an emergency department somewhere looking at us as you're being told that we're going to have to put a breathing tube down your throat. When we're operating at that 80-85% capacity, that that is at a pretty strong clip. People are getting tired and they're getting worn out. Now, now we're up to that 90 and 95% where now it becomes, you know, borderline uh, concerning slash dangerous. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. An extremely concerning number of people across the region have tested positive for COVID-19 in recent days. Over the last week, the metro area has seen about 1,500 new diagnoses per day. That's up 54 percent over last week, according to data gathered by the New York Times. St. Louis County has seen almost 520 cases daily over the last week. That's the second highest average since March. On Friday, the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force said that area hospitals were at 90 percent capacity. And beginning today, Barnes Jewish Hospital, Christian Hospital, Memorial Hospital Belleville, and Missouri Baptist Medical Center are all rescheduling some elective surgical procedures. And so joining us today to talk about where we're at is Dr. Alex Garza. He is the commander of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force and chief community health officer for SSM Health. So Dr. Garza, Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So how bad are things in the St. Louis metro right now? Well, uh, they're as bad as they have ever been, but but let me give you a little bit of context. And so uh, certainly we have um, hit all-time records in terms of hospital admissions and cases. Um, today, we'll, later today, we'll report we hit a new record in hospital census for the pandemic as well. And so um, from, from the numbers-wise, it, it looks very bad. Um, the, the sort of silver lining or the saving grace in that is we're not as seeing as many of those COVID patients having to go to the intensive care unit or to be put on ventilators. And we think that's probably because of it. it's a little bit younger of a population, not as many people coming from nursing homes. So these, these um, younger populations, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going on ventilators. Are they, for the most part, surviving? Or are we also seeing some, some bad outcomes for younger people? So um, certainly not seeing as many deaths as we saw earlier in the pandemic. And again, I think that's related to the, the type of patient we're seeing now. 
early on in the pandemic, about 50% of those patients were coming from nursing homes or other sort of congregate living facilities. And so we're not seeing as many coming from there, and those are usually the most fragile of our population. But but nonetheless, uh, we are still seeing um, deaths. We're still start, still seeing, you know, um, uh, different outcomes, long-term outcomes, whether it's heart problems or neurologic problems or other sorts of problems. And so I always caution people not to think of this too much as, as you know, the binary who lives and who dies. Mm-hmm. Now, we last talked to you on October 7th. It turns out that was mm-hmm. almost exactly a month ago. And things at that mm-hmm. point in the St. Louis area were going really well. Mm-hmm. Outstate Missouri was beginning to see um, some explosion of cases, but it looked like the mm-hmm. metro area more or less had this under control. Why do you think that changed? Well, for a couple of reasons. Um, so, as you mentioned, Outstate was beginning to grow at that time, and um, and those have really taken off over the last month. Uh, in addition to that, we've seen a lot of growth in the ur- more urban areas as well. So, when we track where those cases and where those admissions are coming from, a month ago, they were a large percentage of them were coming from those outlying areas, so that spread that was in the more rural parts. Uh, but over the last four to six weeks, the more urban areas, so St. Louis City, St. Louis County, have virtually caught up with them when mm. we do it on a per capita basis. And so what I tell people now is there's, you know, in different parts of the pandemic, we had different areas that weren't affected. Early on, it was the more urban places, and so we didn't have as many admissions coming from the rural areas. Later on, the rural areas came up, and now it is widespread. Uh, there's no safe harbors now. We're getting everybody is the the infections are increasing everywhere, and we're getting admissions from everywhere. Hmm. Well, that's some really sobering news. And I know County Executive Sam Page is trying to hit this home to people. He's saying if numbers don't drop, we will see another lockdown. It also kind of feels like leaders have been saying this now for a few weeks. It it feels kind of like when I say to my kids, hey, if you don't stop that, I'm going to take away your privileges. How hard are we trying to avoid going down into this actual lockdown? Yeah. And and I think the reason why you hear that um, is, you know, we we want to um, we want the curves to bend. We don't want to have to go into lockdown. Lockdowns don't, you know, they they harm a lot of people, Mm -hmm. both economically and 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 for other reasons. Um, And so but but really, when you think about what does it take to bend the curve, it really gets down to almost the personal um, level. So uh, people have to be invested in doing things like wearing masks out in public. And, and the, the other thing that we're having a lot of issues with now is those informal gatherings, whether it's, you know, I'm going to throw a Halloween party at my house or I'm just going to have, you know, 10 of my friends over. Well, those typically turn into transmission events and then mm-hmm. those go out into the community and it just um, keeps propagating this virus along. It's um, interesting. It, it seems like a lot of um, businesses and um, even restaurants, you know, they've come up with mm-hmm. some really good protocols. You see people they wearing have. masks and, and doing their best part. But these mm-hmm. informal gatherings, you know, there's this news that there was this party that 200 people may have been at and that now we know somebody there had it and, and was spreading it. Um, right. Having a lockdown might not even stop this sort of informal gathering. Is that a concern? Yeah, yeah, that, that is a concern. Is, is, and, and I said this on Friday, it's, it's hard to think that you're going to sort of policy your way out of, out of the pandemic. 
Um, at some point, it really does come down to is the community engaged enough to prevent um, the worst from happening? And it, and it can't just be, you know, um, 50% of the people. It really has to be in the upwards of 80 to 90% of people doing the right things in order for this to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, um, at, at some point we will reach that tipping point where, where um, you know, it, it, it'll be challenging to think what sorts of things can I do? Can I rely on the public uh, to, to really embrace these things? Or do I need to have more directive measures, whether that is uh, a complete shutdown? You mentioned earlier in this conversation that you'll be announcing later today that the St. Louis metro area has reached its highest hospital census during the pandemic. What does that mean and what's the effect of that? Yeah, I think in in essence what that means is we're filling up a lot of hospital beds with COVID patients. And so when we do that, that means that uh, we're essentially decreasing capacity for all of the other healthcare issues that we have to take care of as well. So in order to meet demand, that means we have to decrease capacity for other things. So whether that is doing screening exams or other elective procedures or things like that. So that's one thing is deferred care, which is never good for anybody. Um, But the second thing is it's putting a tremendous strain on our workforce as well. So when we're operating at that 80, 85 percent capacity, that, that is at a pretty strong clip. People are getting tired and they're getting worn out. Now, now we're up to that 90 and 95 percent where now it becomes, you know, borderline uh, concerning slash dangerous because when you stretch people that much, um, they're not at their best. And mm-hmm. that means they're not providing the excellent care that we that they want to provide, and not just to COVID patients, but to all of our patients. Well, this is a very sobering moment we're in, and and I hope people take your words to heart today. And um, Dr. Alex Garza, I want to thank you for joining us, and I wish you the best of luck. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Have a good day. And Dr. Garza, again, is the commander of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force. Now, as Dr. Garza mentioned, these statistics put a huge weight on local health care workers, and they're already feeling it. Sherry Barton Pipkins is a registered nurse who lives in Dupo, Illinois, and she shared um, a statement on Facebook and allowed us to share it with you today. One of her coworkers wrote it, and Sherry added that it couldn't be more true right now. Sherry posted this. I swabbed 53 patients alone the other day out in the rain. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I didn't sign up for this when I started my career. None of us did. But I show up daily and I do everything I can to still care for people with a smile. It would be nice to have the respect back in turn. The respect is gone. The appreciation is gone. The thank you so much for working through this has been replaced by, why is this taking so long? And I'm just here for a nose swab. This is ridiculous. The threats of calling corporate and being screamed at over the phone are at an all-time high. The annoyed eye rolls and huffy sighs when you tell them it shouldn't be much longer, we're doing the best we can, are really starting to chip away at our morale. The free coffee and meals are a thing of the past. The hotel lights in the shape of hearts aren't on anymore. The neighbors who waved us off to work and told us to stay safe have gone back inside. The community that displayed Heroes Work Here signs have turned their back on us. We are still here. 
We are still fighting. We are working harder than we ever have. We are exhausted. We are frustrated. We are so emotionally and physically drained. We are skipping breaks. We are going in early and coming home late. We are missing time with our families. We are doing the best we can. We aren't, quote, healthcare heroes anymore. We have become slaves to this pandemic, and it is really freaking exhausting. So please, if you read this, and for some reason you find yourself at the ER or a COVID test center in the near future, cut the staff some slack. Try to be grateful. Try to have some respect. And for Pete's sake, just say thank you. That is from Sherry Barton Pipkins. She's a nurse who lives in the Metro East. We need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hear from some local healthcare workers on the front lines. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. to our conversation. We've been talking about the coronavirus spread intensifying in the region. Just before the break, we heard from Dr. Alex Garza, commander of the region's pandemic task force. We also heard from a local nurse whose Facebook post went viral. And now joining us to talk about how healthcare workers are doing is Dr. Jessica Nelson. She is an emergency room physician and intensivist. She works primarily at Barnes Jewish Hospital as well as other BJC system hospitals. So Dr. Nelson, welcome. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. And we're also joined by Cindy Lefton. She's an emergency department nurse in St. Louis and an organizational psychologist at Psychological Associates. And she's also the pro bono director of patient experience for the Daisy Foundation. That's a national nonprofit that recognizes nurses. Cindy, welcome back to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks again so much for inviting me. So, Cindy, uh, we read that very long Facebook post before the break from from a local nurse. And I'm wondering, does that resonate with you? Oh boy, I mean, when you read that, it made my heart hurt because I think that she captured a lot of the essence of some of the things that we're seeing across the country when she talked about the pot banging and the hero signs and the free meals. All that was really wonderful and appreciated, but the impact of meaningful recognition of how people are making a difference. We're we're missing that for a variety of different reasons, and Mm. it's so very important. Dr. Nelson, how about you and your fellow doctors? Are you feeling that same sort of frustration with with seeing so many people whose nerves are on edge and, and just, frankly, so many patients you're trying to deal with? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, that quote really hits home uh, for us as well. You know, we're feeling a lot of the same frustration that the general public is. Uh, But we also have an up-close view of this pandemic. While we want this to be over, uh, we certainly see the the toll that this is taking on, you know, patients. To us, you know, we hear the numbers, but we also see, you know, patient after patient and hear their stories. um, And we really take on a lot of that that stress as people are going through these difficult and traumatic situations with, you know, COVID and critical illness um, and separation from families and things like that. Dr. Nelson, um, for those working in the emergency room, just how busy do things feel right now? Would you characterize it as a frenzy or is that going a bit too far? (laughs) So in the emergency department, we work in a constant state of kind of organized chaos. Um, And a lot of that sense, we're used to dealing with, you know, whatever comes in, we show up every day uh, and we do the job to the best of our abilities and try to deliver the 
the best level of care possible for our patients. Um, so I think you'll see that most emergency department physicians and emergency department teams, you know, nurses, respiratory therapists, uh, technicians, phlebotomists, everybody's, you know, still got their nose through the grindstone and coming in to do their job. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now in terms of how long this is going to last how many more waves are going to come. And that uncertainty is incredibly difficult to cope with uh, for a lot of healthcare providers because there's really no end in sight for us right now. And nobody has a crystal ball to know, you know, what is going to uh, finally break this wave after wave that seems to be coming right now. So we did see some good news this morning, and and we don't want to overstate where all this is going, but Pfizer seemed to be announcing some really good news on the vaccine front. I know stocks soared. Many of us uh, outside the healthcare industry, our moods lifted. Cindy, for those of you who are inside this, are you treating this as good news just yet? Well, I did hear that this morning, and it made me hopeful. Mm So we'll, we'll see. There's still some things that need to happen, but it's good news. It sure is better than the the vaccine didn't work. And forward we go. Uh, Dr. Nelson, do you feel that same sense? I mean, does this feel like, okay, hey, this could be the end in sight, or is that premature? Um, I think approaching it with some cautious optimism, uh, just because, you know, over the years you've seen people's hesitancy as far as vaccines, um, and that hesitancy has unfortunately been increasing in a lot of areas throughout the country. So when we have a vaccine, how many people will, you know, accept the vaccine? How quickly will we be able to distribute the vaccine? I think there's still a lot of questions in the air. Certainly it's a, you know, wonderful first step that we're all, I think, thrilled about, but there's a lot of work ahead of us. I also wonder about, you mentioned this idea of organized chaos, you know, in emergency rooms, you're used to dealing with such a stressful job that that most of us could not handle. Um, And in the midst of that chaos, I wonder, do you have a sense of, we understand this disease in a way we didn't months ago? Does that give you a different feeling than, say, those early days when when things felt kind of terrifying? Yes, I think going through, you know, the first wave of this, we've certainly learned a lot. Uh, We have a lot more information about COVID as a disease process. We certainly are very far away from knowing everything, including why it affects some patients more than others, um, and they get more um, critically ill than other people. But I think overall, having gone through this, we have a better idea of how to, you know, mobilize resources, how to shift processes, you know, what clear triggers are that decisions need to be made to help open up uh, beds and shift resources. And then just in general, how to treat patients. There's a lot more publications. Uh, there's a lot more research available that we can utilize. Um, and that more and more research is coming out every day to mm-hmm. assist us in those decisions. And it feels like the other big thing that when we were going through earlier spikes, there was such a concern about personal protective equipment. Cindy, do you have the sense that your colleagues are okay on that front? Well, you know, again, I think when you look across the country, we're doing better. But I just saw something recently, a statement from 3M, that they can't keep up with the demand. Mm. So that's a bit concerning for the N95 masks. And so we'll 
we'll see. But, it, you know, again, as Dr. Nelson was saying, you know, more and more is coming out. There was a very small but recent study that talked about using the N95s that we should use them, you know, for two days max or two consecutive shifts. So, uh, you know, we're learning more and uh, hopefully we'll be able to adapt. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear that attitude. I know you guys have to have to deal with whatever comes your way, and it, it's good to know you're ready for it. Um, what something else Dr. Garza mentioned this morning is that we are seeing younger patients, and that while a lot of these patients aren't dying the way that we initially saw, they're seeing some serious outcomes nevertheless. Dr. Nelson, can you speak at all, um, obviously without getting into specifics, but about what you're seeing as, in terms of the patient population that's coming in um, with COVID-19? Certainly. Yeah, I think there's on the putting my emergency medicine hat on, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot of younger patients who uh, test positive, who we are still able to discharge uh, with return precautions to come back if they have worsening symptoms. That being said, though, we are, you know, still having patients in their 30s, uh, 40s who are critically ill getting admitted to the ICU. So putting on my ICU hat as well, we have patients who have very long ICU stays who, you know, are still going on the ventilator for prolonged periods of time. Um, And, you know, now that we're a couple months in, we're also seeing people who got sick months ago even and are still suffering significant symptoms with shortness of breath and still damaged damaged lungs and other side effects, um, including just a Anybody who has a prolonged stay in the ICU, people get very weak, uh, nutrition changes, things like that. So um, it's stressful for them and their families in multiple ways, and that stress all takes a toll on the body in addition to the illness. So even though a, a good number of these people aren't dying, these are some very serious cases, and as you're saying, some very long-term cases. These are not people who are just needing a couple days of treatment and then you don't see them again. Exactly, exactly. You know, as we're approaching the winter season here, a lot of us are also concerned about our typical winter winter viruses like flu um, mm-hmm. and what havoc that could potentially wreak um, on the St. Louis area as well. And, you know, what if patients are able to get COVID and then also get influenza and things like that? And we just don't know. So we're also encouraging people in addition to a lot of the uh, public health measures that Dr. Garza mentioned, really to get flu shots this year and to have that kind of be the first step um, where we have a COVID-19 vaccine available. We have an influenza vaccine available, so please take advantage of that. That's a very good point. There's a vaccine that's already out there. I know we've talked about this a couple times on the show, but people need to be getting this vaccine. And you know what? We've talked about this a couple times here. I still haven't got mine. And this is the reminder that all of us need that we need to go out and do this. It's the one small thing we can do. Um, my guests today are Dr. Jessica Nelson. She's an emergency room physician and intensivist. She works primarily at Barnes Jewish Hospital as well as other BJC system hospitals. Uh, and we're also joined today by Cindy Lefton, an emergency department nurse in St. Louis. Um, Cindy is also the pro bono director of patient experience for the Daisy Foundation. This is a national nonprofit. It recognizes nurses. And we've talked to Cindy about this before on the show. But um, Cindy, I'm curious, in the context of the stressors that healthcare workers are under right now, I know hospital administrators are also under these stressors, but should hospitals be doing more to try to boost morale and to try to get people through this time? 
Well, it's a good question. And I, I think that anytime you can engage people and letting them know that they matter and their work makes a difference, it's a, it's a good outcome. Because uh, is the, you know, the piece that you read when you introduced us again was so, you know, heartfelt and, and we're, we're people too. You know, we all have families and we have fears, and but we show up every day because that's what that's our job, that's our choice, and we we want to do it and we want to take care of people. But we appreciate knowing that we're making a difference in in your lives. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, there are, there are many people who feel that way, but then also you find a lot of people who feel that masks have become this political issue. And some people are downright opposed to them and they're, they're hostile to this idea that we should be doing this to lessen the spread. Dr. Nelson, is that hard to deal with when you see things like that on the news or, or see people protesting against this stuff? Yes, absolutely. I think it really uh, can decrease morale when we are showing up to every shift, wearing a mask for all our entire our entire shift, trying to keep our patients safe, advocating for these public health measures. Um, My husband and I recently stayed at a cabin on vacation up in Michigan, and a woman came up while we were waiting in line to pay and said, why are you wearing a mask? You don't need a mask. (laughs) This, This disease isn't real. If it's so real, where are they hiding all of the bodies? And all we could, you know, we were just stunned. Um, at this reaction, <laughs> completely unprovoked. And um, did, how you know, did you she, respond? Did you even try to reason with this person? No, not really. My my husband said, well, this is an ICU doctor. Uh, <laughs> if you have additional questions, but we are going to continue wearing um, our masks and, and kind of stepped back. Um, so he stepped up to the challenge better than I did. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Frankly, honestly, I it, it seems like she couldn't have chosen a worse person to try to, to spread this conspiracy theory with. You've, you've been seeing this now for months on end. Did, yes. Was that offensive to hear someone tell you that what you've experienced isn't real? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, again, these patients who have COVID right now, a lot of them are isolated in the ICU. They don't get to see their families because of our uh, visitor policy to try to keep everybody safe. So all of those things are incredibly difficult, but the intensive care staff, the emergency department staff has really stepped up to be here for those patients. And we've gotten to know all of these patients and their stories. And in the case of the ICU, spend you know days to weeks with them. Um, so these aren't just numbers. These are not, you know, quote unquote bodies, as she said, you know, these are real people who have had a profound impact um, on our lives as, you know, healthcare workers. And so it's just, it's disconcerting. It's uh, frustrating. And it certainly adds to, you know, a lot of our fatigue regarding this, this situation. And, you know, some of the, I think, you know, secondary trauma that healthcare providers will eventually start to manifest as the pandemic continues to go on. Hmm. Well, in addition to the nurse whose Facebook post we read right before the break, we also heard from Dr. Mimi Vo. She's a local physician. She's been on this show before. And and she writes, please be nice to your friends in healthcare right now. We're stretched thin. We're tired. We are trying our best. We've never seen as many COVID patients since the pandemic began as we are now. I was almost in tears today talking with a patient with asymptomatic COVID-19, husband with fever and viral pneumonia. We got her positive test result back 
back in less than 24 hours, yet she yelled at my staff and I over the phone about insurance issues and quarantine measures. After listening to her complaints, I had to cut her off to finish seeing the rest of my patients. I stayed back after work to call and listen to her. I left my clinic with a smile because I did not let her negative actions change my kindness or take away my empathy for others, despite being two hours late for dinner with my family. I am a healer and this is my calling, but I could use more compassion and prayers right now. Please be kind and stay safe all. And that again is from Dr. Mimi Vo. We're sharing that with her permission. Cindy, is there anything you would want the people of St. Louis to know as, as you're continuing to deal with uh, your job as a nurse and these stressful conditions everybody's under? Well, I think just please take this seriously. Please be safe because this is real and and we want you to be healthy. We don't want you to be laying in an emergency department somewhere looking at us as you're being told that we're gonna have to put a breathing tube down your throat and we don't know if you'll ever see your family again. Mm -hmm. And take care of yourself and understand that We're trying to take care of you and also trying to take care of ourselves. Well, Cindy Lefton, emergency department nurse, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Sarah. And Dr. Jessica Nelson, emergency room physician uh, who works a lot at Barnes Jewish Hospital and other BJC system hospitals, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.